Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Did you know, my friends, that we were all born creative? I, for one, am a huge creative type. And my guest today is none other than former Disney executive and forever a fan, Duncan Wardle. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, he is the or former head of innovation and creativity at Disney. Duncan and his team helped Lucasfilm, Marvel, Pixar, and Disney Parks to innovate creating magical new storylines and experiences. He now brings his extensive Disney expertise to audiences around the world using a unique approach to design thinking, helping people capture unlikely connections, leading to fresh thinking and disruptive ideas. Delivering a series of keynotes, workshops and ideation forums, his unique innovation toolkit helps companies embed a culture of innovation into everyone's DNA. Duncan is a multiple TED speaker and contributor to Fast Company, Forbes, and Harvard Business Review, among many, many others. He teaches innovation masterclasses at Yale, Harvard, and Edinburgh University. And I personally loved this conversation. And someone who is a massive creative at heart, this was a joy of a conversation for me, learning all the ins and outs of creativity, where it comes from, how we can be more creative in our own lives how to spur up creative ideas in the first place. This conversation did take place last year around this time and why I held on to it for so long, the question really, the answer to that question escapes me. I apologize for holding on to this for so long, uh, but I wanted to release it now and hope that you guys would uh, gain a lot of insights and benefits from it. Um yeah, I think you guys are really going to love this one. So I won't speak too much further. If you want to go learn more about Duncan and his work, go and check him out. I'll link all all the things you need to find him in the show notes below. Don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, uh, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order in Australia and the US. Links for that will be in the show notes below. Hope that you guys can get a copy and help support uh, not only myself, but help lead your life the very best way that you possibly can. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It's time to journey with me into the story box as we learn more about creativity from the wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Duncan Wardle. No, thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much for making the time. We're, we're just saying a little bit off air that we've been trying to make this happen since last year. <laughs> so, no, sorry, sorry, I apologize. You don't need to apologize at all because I, I do understand that you are a busy man and I just appreciate you making the time today. Before we dive into, I guess, your backstory how this all got started for you and, and all the good stuff. I usually start off all my conversations with one particular question, which is 
What does success look like to you? Happiness. That was it. There you go. That was done. That was short and sweet, wasn't it? Yeah, look, be happy, man. Do what you love. Look, if you go back to when you were at school, right? I bet you, you had a one subject you were really good at and you blew it out of the park every day because you liked it and it was fun. And then there was one subject where you were a total disaster and you didn't like it. And so it's common sense, right? If you, you know, when you go to school, your best subject is always your favorite. So do what you love and you'll be really good at it. So um, yeah, happiness. When was the moment for you, man, that you realized that success was happiness? Was it like this gradual thing over time over your life or was there a catalyst moment somewhere oh blimey i don't know <laughs> i got lucky i mean i did i got lucky i start you know i was uh i worked i um i phoned the disney office every day for 27 days in london until i got fed up of taking my phone call i was about 21 at the time and there were only 16 people there then there's 3500 now and um i got a job my first job was cappuccino boy I was to go down to the deli and get my boss six cappuccinos a day from Bar Italia on Frith Street and to collate 50 press kits back in the day. And about three weeks into the job, I was told, right, we need a character coordinator tonight at the role premiere of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who wants to do it? I was like, sure, I'll give it a go because it was overtime, right? And when you're young, do anything for a bit of money. And so um, I said, well, what do I have to do? They said, well, you just mind the character. Like, okay, all right. So I go along and it was, um, it was a royal premiere. It was in the presence of the Princess of Wales, Princess Diana. My job was simply to stand at the bottom of the staircase. Uh, Princess Diana would come in along the receiving line, welcoming celebrities. Roger Rabbit was at the top of the stairs. He was going to come down to the bottom of the stairs and greet the princess. Well, that's the day when I <laughs> found out what a contingency plan was because I didn't know what one was, so I didn't have one. Now, a contingency plan would tell you if you're going to bring a very tall rabbit with very long feet down a staircase towards the Princess of Wales, you might want to measure the width of the steps <laughs> before he starts walking down. So Roger immediately trips over his own feet and is now rolling like a giant snowball down the staircase pretty damn fast, directly towards the Princess of Wales, <laughs> whereupon <laughs> two royal protection officers appeared out of nowhere and took him out. I mean, they just flattened him. So this is a famous picture on Reuters in black and white, a Roger Rabbit lying prostrated on the floor with two Secret Service heavies on top of him and a little 21-year-old PR guy in the background called Duncan looking like, ah, shit, I'm fired. <laughs> and so um, I didn't go to the office the next day because I was assumed I was fired. I got a phone call. They said, where are you? I said, I'm at home. They said, why? I said, I thought I was fired. They goes, no, this is exactly the publicity we needed for Roger Rabbit. I was like, wow, I can make a career out of this. And so for the next 20 years, I got away with the maddest audacious shit you could possibly imagine. I got to send my son's Buzz Lightyear to space on the on a uh, space shuttle. He's the longest serving astronaut in space, Buzz Lightyear. He served 18 months on the International Space Station and is now to be down in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. Um, actually, after the Sydney Olympic Games, I built a full-size Olympic swimming pool down Main Street, USA, for Michael Phelps to swim down. <laughs> so I got to build lands and attractions such as Galaxy's Edge, which was one of the last projects for Star Wars and the Shanghai Disney Park. I got to help Pixar with storylines like Toy, Toy Story, um, because here's the thing. And it, Toy Story was designed specifically for old buggers like me, because here's the thing. In the 60s, when you were growing up as a kid, you were a cowboy, man. I don't care if you lived in Australia, London, you were a cowboy. David Crockett was your hero. And you had the coonskin hat, you had the tassels, you had the sheriff's badge, and you walked as if you'd just come off a horse, right? Because that was like cool. Uh, and you had the plastic pistols and cowboys were gods. And then this dude called Neil Armstrong landed on the moon and ruined it for all of us. You're like, oh, shit, I want to be an astronaut. And so literally overnight, all of us were like, ah, screw the cowboys, we're going to be an astronaut. Well, where do you think the insight for a Toy Story came from? It came from a bunch of 60s kids who suddenly remembered the day they didn't want to be a cowboy anymore. Um, so that's where Toy Story came from. Monsters Incorporated came from the fact that most of us are kids. It was just a lunchtime conversation, right? About, uh, do, you know, do you, did you have a monster under your bed or in the closet? You're like, yeah, sure I did. And that's where the whole idea for Monsters Incorporated came from. So um, I was just a kid in a candy store with somebody else's money <laughs> getting away with murder and having a great time. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And then 10 years ago, I got a call from the CEO who said, right, you're the guy with all the big ideas. You're going to be in charge of innovation, to which my exact response was, what the hell is that? He said, I don't know. We just need more of it. We need to innovate at scale. I was like, oh, wow, thanks for the brief. 
So the first thing I did, I thought, God, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. So I, <laughs> oh, I'll give it a go. So I, uh, I surveyed 5,000 people at Pixar, Lucasfilms, Marvel, Disney, ESPN, ABC. And I said, hey, what are the barriers that stop you from being more innovative where you work? Number one, it doesn't matter what organization you ask. You run a survey, 60, minimum 65% on the survey will say, I don't have time to think. Still considered the number one barrier to innovating. And yet, look at your diary for tomorrow. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, it's already full. The rest of the week, completely full. Next month, full. Oh, hang on a minute. Didn't you just say the biggest barrier to innovation was you don't have time to think? Um, number two, we're risk averse. We've got quarterly results to meet. Uh, number three, um, we say we're consumer centric. We're not. We still care more about our quarterly results and our share price than we do our consumer. Um, so we're not consumer centric. Uh, we say we are. And then you say, well, have you ever spent a day in the living room with one of your consumers? And the executive's like, no. Well, guess what? Then you're still product centric. Um, ideas get stuck, diluted or killed as they move through our organization because we all have far too many approval processes. Everybody has to touch everything because we feel valued if we do. Well, that's how projects get stuck, diluted or killed as they move through. And the last one was we all have a different definition of innovation. So we're all heading in a different direction. So we try four models of innovation. Model number one, this was an easy one. I phoned <laughs> IDEO, who were considered one of the gurus of the consultancy world and innovation. And I said, right, make me look good. <laughs> Not quite, but um, so I brought IDEO in and they would work an innovation project for three or four months. And then they would leave. And then you thought, oh, that's good work. Well, how did they do what they did? Well, they're not going to tell you that. Well, you wouldn't hire them again. So you thought, okay, that only works to a certain extent. Uh, model number two, I know, we'll create an innovation team. Duncan will be head of it. What could possibly go wrong? Well, when you create an innovation team, yes, the pro is you've created a catalyst for change within the organization who wakes up every morning driving innovation and change. The con is the subliminal message you send to the rest of the organization is, oh, thank God we've got an innovation team. We're off the hook. We can just keep doing business the way we've always done business. Because nobody in your organization outside of the legal team does legal. Nobody outside of sales does sales. So what happens, do you think, when you create an innovation team? Uh, same thing, right? So model number three, we thought, right, we'll create an accelerator program, which will enable us um, to work with outside young tech startups that we can bring in a piece of interesting technology that Disney was interested in. We'll take a 50-50 stake in their business, um, and we'll help them scale it and take it to market. And that enabled us to bring products and services to market much, much quicker than we were before because these people weren't encumbered by our politics, our hierarchy, et cetera, um, but still only touched 0.02% of the population. So we had failed in our overall goal, which was how might we embed a culture of innovation into everybody's DNA? And I thought, right, okay, failed on all three, not failed, but you know, not as successful. And so um, I've, and people say, why did you leave Disney? You were head of innovation and creativity. You were there 30 years. Yeah, 30. Think about it for a minute. They gave me the bronze Jim Money Cricket statue. Thank you for 30 magical years of service. I looked at it and thought, oh, my God, I'm nearly dead. Um, so uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I just had this seminal moment because I'm listening to all the C-suites, particularly after COVID, obviously. We must innovate. You must think differently. We must be brave. We must take risks. And all of their employees are sitting there going, how? Mm -hmm. And nobody's showing people how. Uh, so all I did was take the best of what I learned from IDEO, my time at Disney, Pixar, Marvel, working with Apple. And all I did was take a design thinking process and make innovation easy, creativity tangible, and the process fun. Now, companies hate the word fun because they think it doesn't drive business results because the C-suite still thinks they can create culture change by talking about it. You can't. You have to give people a toolkit they choose to use when you're not around. Therefore, it has to be fun. And so it is. And why shouldn't work be fun, by the way? Um, and so that's what I do now. I help companies embed a culture of innovation into everybody. I love the workshops. You get paid more for a keynote, but I love the workshops. And I do more of them um, because you walk into a room full of people who for years have been told, oh, you're in finance, oh, you're in sales, you're in marketing, you're in operations, you're, you're not creative. The creatives are there on the second floor. They're cool. They wear black. Um, everybody was born creative. But we've had it squeezed out of us as we grew up. And, um, and nobody really knows, well, what's this innovation stuff? But you get in a room with a piece. So if you, here's the thing. People don't learn by listening. They learn by doing. So you give them a, a challenge at the beginning of the day. And we get, take them through all the design thinking principles. And you usually about lunchtime, you see a smile on people's faces beginning to emerge when they think, I can do this. And I take enormous pride away from that. Um, because most of us think we're not creative. Most of us think we can't innovate. And so it's just about making it easy, tangible, and fun. And that's what I do now.
there's a lot for me to unpack there. <laughs> the first thing that I want to make mention of, I love how you mentioned like the Cowboys and, you know, I grew up with, I'm only 24, but I grew up with all the classics, ah. uh, especially oh. like- oh, Wait, 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 wait. So wait, what's a classic for you? Something that was made five years ago. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trust me. When I say this, you're probably going to laugh, but I, I grew up with all the older classics, like, you know, oh, okay. uh, John Wayne, your Davy Crockett's as well. I grew up Ooh. with- uh, the Lone Ranger, um, yeah. all those films. great, great films that and shows, I think that a lot of people actually need to see. Like one of them that I watch on a regular basis every single year, I don't know if you've seen this, but The Great Race, uh, you know, the, the Great Wesley, you know, that. Uh, okay. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> have you seen it? No, I haven't. But I think the best modern cowboy film, although I say modern, it was probably made about 20 years ago, Tombstone. Tombstone. Great film. Great yeah. film. Yep. Kurt Russell, who else is in it? I can't remember. Good film, though. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like, great cowboy films that were made back in, uh, yeah, I don't know the time yeah. here. A while back. <laughs> yeah, the wild, wild west days, because <laughs> you can yeah. say. Yeah. But, when Duncan um, was born. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but one of the things, another thing that I wanted to highlight and sort of ask you, you mentioned there that everyone is born creative. We just sort of had that squeezed out of us. And this one's I, easy. What, why? Born, well, here's the thing, right? When you were a kid, you got a gift for, let's say, your birthday. Could have been Christmas, could have been Hanukkah, could be Kwanzaa. And remember the gift where the box was almost as big as you were? Mm. And it took you ages to get the toy out of the box. And you spent two or three hours playing with the toy. But what do you spend the next week playing with? The box. Mm. It was your castle. It was your fort. It was your rocket ship. It was anything you wanted it to be. Then you went to school, the number one killer of creativity. And the first thing your teacher told you was, don't forget to color in between the lines. You used to ask, why, 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 why again? Then you went to school and you were told to stop asking why because there's only one right answer. However, right, if I were to do a survey today of 5,000 people and ask them why they go to Disney on holiday, the number one answer I'll get in my data is we go for the rides and the attractions. Well, that tells me to spend a couple of hundred million dollars on a new capital investment strategy. But it's not true, is it? If I pause for a moment and act childlike, not childish, and say, well, why do you go for the rides? Well, I remember Pirates of the Caribbean. Why is that significant? I remember the music. Why is that important to you? I used to go with my dad. Why is that important to you all these years later? I take my son now. On the fourth or fifth why, which is what children are really good at, you get to the insight for innovation. It's got nothing to do with capital investment strategy and everything to do with that personal, that person's memory and nostalgia. That's a communication campaign, not a capital investment strategy. But your data only goes one or two whys deep. Insights for innovation come for the fourth or fifth way. And children, they know you lied the first time. That's why they keep going. They're very good at getting to the insight for insight, the, the core consumer truth, which normally comes on the fourth or fifth way. And today, although our data is getting better and better and better, it's still only going as deep as the first or second way. And so we're all born with intuition. You have a so you've all of us have stared at the back of the head some somebody that we think they look really hot. And that person immediately turned around and stared at you and you had to look away really quickly. Well, how the hell did they know you were looking at them? Well, you've got 100 billion neurons in your first brain. You have 100 million neurons in your second brain. It's in your stomach. It is, in fact, however, the brain with which you make most of your decisions during the day when we all say, I went with my gut. It's a remarkable computer. And then we're all born with amazing imagination, all of us. All of us had that weird dream last week with David Beckham, Beyonce and the unicorn, or one like it that we don't want to tell anybody about. But here's the thing. I've asked three artificial intelligence experts because I keep hearing people say, well, AI is going to eliminate 20 to 30% of the workforces in the Western Hemisphere in the next 10 years. Well, that's a pretty bold statement. So, okay. So if that's true, how will you, at the age of 24, compete by the time you're 34? I, on the other hand, will be retired in a small pub in Scotland, and you're welcome to come visit because AI is coming for your lunch. However, so how will you compete with AI 10 years from today? Well, I've asked three AI experts, do you believe we will be able to program creativity, intuition, curiosity, and imagination into AI in the next decade? And the answer is no. Now, 
Could we eventually? Nobody knows the answer to that. Next 10 years? The answer is no. Therefore, the, 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 the most employable skill sets of the next decade are actually the ones you were born with that you haven't used in a while because you were told that strategy, finance, critical thinking, planning, analysis were more important than data. Well, guess what the robots are about to strip away, people? Anything that can be programmed is gone. Uh, so it has to be things that humans offer that can't be programmed. And actually, we've got them all embedded with us. But the problem is, you work in so many industries, you get told so many times you're not creative, you give up. And actually, by giving people an exercise during the workshop where they can go in for two or three minutes and then they come back, and they, they prove to themselves they're creative. That's quite impactful. But the biggest challenge for all of us, we say it's we don't have time to think. It's not. It's our own river of thinking. Well, what does wow, that sounds? Ooh, that sounds posh. What does that mean? Is he trying to sound intelligent? <laughs> yeah, probably. It's your own expertise and your own experience. And the more expertise and experience you have, the faster, the wider, and deeper is your river of thinking on the industry in which you work, allowing you to make quick and informed decisions. However, with the level of disruption that is coming, we are all being asked to get out of that river more and more often, more and more quickly to think different, to help us have new ideas. But that's the hardest part, right? To stop thinking the way you always do. So all I've done is created a, a series of tools to stop you thinking the way you always do and give you permission to think differently. And that's what I do now. Have you looked at as well where creativity comes from? I mean, you mentioned that we're born with it, but where did that actually come from in the first place? No, but it's, it's a great quote by Pablo Picasso. He says, we're all born creative. The challenge is trying to stay creative as we grow up. Um, but it's it's great because children are really good at it, <laughs> right? They just are. And then suddenly it gets squeezed out of us. But they're really good. Uh, you give them a, you know, Lego, you give them a set of bricks and they create something. And you look at it and go, I have no idea what that is. But to the child, it's a giraffe or a hotel. To you, it looks like the same thing. Uh, but again, we, it just gets diminished as we get older and the ability to think creatively. Look, 12 months ago, you used to go to a restaurant. Now you use whatever you use in Australia. It's called Uber Eats in America. 12 months ago, you used to go to a supermarket. Nobody likes going to a supermarket. They're annoying. Uh, why are they annoying? Because they're product-centric. They're not consumer-centric. Why? Because they move the products around every three months so you can't find them. Why do they do that? They do that to make you walk down an extra aisle you didn't want to walk down to pick up an extra product you didn't want. That is a very selfish, product-centric uh, experience. That's not consumer-centric. And so I don't want to go to the supermarket again. And now it's called Instacart. It was born out of COVID-19. They deliver my groceries to me. I'll never go back to a supermarket as long as I live. Gyms. No, it's called Peloton now or, or whatever your virtual gym is. Will we go back to restaurants, gyms, retail stores, uh, et cetera, a supermarket in the numbers and the frequency with which we used to? Hell no, not a chance. What, what, why? Why is virtual going to come in 10 times quicker than anybody thinks it is? We're all kicking and screaming. We didn't want to do a Zoom call 12 months ago. Now we definitely don't want to do another Zoom call because uh, we've all done 10,000. However, Make no mistake, it's coming. Well, why is it coming? Well, look at your facts. 2005 to 2020, a period of 15 years, the world has had Ebola, bird flu, H1N1, SARS, and COVID. Now, we were spared most of them, thank goodness, but other nations were not. They've seen all five. Are you saying that the next pandemic isn't coming in the next three to five years? Of course it is. So this, so take, take your companies. We shattered the glass ceiling where people thought their employees wouldn't be so efficient from home. Guess what? They're twice as efficient from home because they don't go to all the stupid meetings you never needed to have in the first place. So they're actually 20 times more efficient. Why? Because you've got time to think. And now as a company, I can save hundreds of millions of dollars on real estate. So you know what? Welcome to the world of Oculus. If you haven't got one, but you've got a kid, go get an Oculus headset. They're 300 bucks, right? That's, th that's a third of the price of an iPhone. That is the future of work and collaboration. Well, why? Well, because I did a workshop with a lady from Johannesburg and a lady from London two months ago where we were all wearing an Oculus headset. Now, Zoom, you don't feel like you're in the same room. It's very obvious that you're not. But Oculus, the lady from Johannesburg walked up to me with her virtual hand and handed me a virtual pen, neither of which existed. I took it out of her virtual hand with my virtual hand standing in my living room in Orlando, Florida, and wrote on a virtual whiteboard with virtual ink that didn't exist and handed it back to the virtual woman that wasn't there, but she was. Now, an Oculus headset is very bulky today and it looks quite ugly, but guess what? I remember the brick phone, the one you used to have to hold with two hands. <laughs> now it's called an iPhone. 
And Facebook are a pretty smart group of people. I'll bet you the Oculus is a pair of glasses in less than five years. That will threaten physical retail, physical shopping malls, physical theme parks, physical sport, physical anything. The world of virtual is coming. If you think I'm mad, go back and look at the Jetsons. There we go, back to a classic. It was made in the 1960s. Did they have did they have flat touchscreen technology? Yes. Did they have flying cars? Yes. Did they have virtual sports? Yes. Did they have a, a, a robot between the houses? Yeah. It's all here. It's all coming. Um, look, it can't be too long before Amazon gets FAA approval to deliver your groceries by drone. And what if McDonald's could do it too? I'm working with one of the world's largest um, snack manufacturers on whether or not we believe you'll be able to 3D print your own snacks in your living room in five years from today. Who knows? I don't know the answer to that. But here's the thing. 3D printing is coming, man. We're building houses in Houston, Texas today on a 3D printer in less than seven days for the price of an iPhone. But what's that going to do to the housing market? Ooh, interesting. Um, it'll be really interesting. You know, tool, so if you're in the tool industry today, get out. Why? Yeah. Because 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 hammers, chisels, and saws will be in a museum in less than ten years from now. Because I can 3D print the table, I can 3D print the chair. I don't need a hammer, a chisel, or a saw. There'll be the blockbuster video of the next decade. So, and these changes that are coming, do we believe we will shake hands with another human being again? I don't know the answer to that. And I don't think so. Here's shaking hands is a habit. But if we haven't done it for two years, like any habit, it becomes broken. Mm. Therefore, will we? And I don't know if we will or if we won't, but that's not the point. The point is, if that's one of the smallest changes in our lives, what the hell else is coming? And so to me, it's about giving people permission to stop thinking. Stop. By the way, how many times have you heard the word pivot in the last 12 months? I don't know if it's used in Australia, but in America, it's there. Oh, we're going to pivot. Pivot means I'm going to change the minimum amount I can to enable me to hit my quarterly results. Well, well done you. You'll be gone. Um, there is no longer time. None of us are going back to business as usual. We're going back to business as unusual. You either reinvent your business model now or your airlines, forget it. Well, well, there's another arrogant statement from Duncan. Well, is it? Just look at your consumer behavior. I used to take the Delta Airlines flight out of Orlando, Florida, to Los Angeles every Monday morning at 7 a.m. We called it the Disney Shuttle. Why? Because everybody on it was from the Walt Disney Company. And, you know, five-hour flight, two-hour meeting, fly about five hours in the night. That wasn't fiscally responsible before the pandemic. <laughs> do you think we're going to do it again? No, corporate business travel shot because we realize we don't actually need, it's very inefficient to travel seven hours for a three-hour meeting. So, you know, whatever Zoom is today or the other equivalents of Zoom, it'll be surpassed. I'm working in some virtual campuses already like for Bella and Spatial where I'm in there as a little avatar. Everybody else is a little avatar. <clears throat> it's a lot more fun than Zoom. And typically in a meeting, you have people like Duncan, who, if you haven't told, haven't spotted it already, talk too much. Uh, we we are the extroverts. We're the people who think or talk before we think. Uh, mm -hmm. But you only ever hear from 20% of the people in the room. Well, wouldn't it be nice to hear from 100% of the people in the room? What about the introverts, the people who think before they talk? Well, in Zoom meetings and Zooms, you don't. But as an avatar, you do. And so you get all that brain power in the room. Um, so it'll be interesting. I would argue and still argue we will be going virtual much, much, much quicker than any of us thought. Um, the NBA, National Basketball Association, um, Adam Silver approached me four years ago and said, hey, I believe virtual basketball revenue will exceed real basketball revenue in less than two decades from now. Let's take a bet. So we created four years ago, five years ago, the Orlando Magic virtual basketball team against the New York Knicks virtual basketball team, a bunch of 16-year-old gamers. They get drafted, they get paid money. And when the Orlando Magic plays a real basketball game, they're lucky to get 12 to 14,000 people in the arena. Uh, when their virtual team flew up to Madison Square Garden to play against the New York Knicks, 52,000 people showed up at the Madison Square Gardens, 3 million people showed up online, and they made uh, just under a quarter of a million dollars in three hours selling virtual merchandise that didn't exist. Um, think it's not coming? Think again. Wow. <laughs> this is like really exciting stuff. I think the future is like, it, it's coming closer than we think it actually is. Um, I could, I could listen to you talk about this all, all the time. So don't feel bad about talking too much. I love it. <laughs> um, I love to listen and learn. So one of the things that I do want to ask you is you are this upbeat personality. You have a lot of energy behind you that I guess drives you a lot. Where does that come from for you? How do you keep it going? I drink more than me, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, I just, look, I'm, uh, okay, that's a I don't know the answers to that, but I do like solving challenges, big ones. 
So, you know, when you say, what stops you from being more innovative? A lot of people say, oh, we don't have the resources. Well, excuse me, Australia is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. You, you walk into the Dharavi slum in Mumbai, right? Five million people living in an area the size of eight Disney theme parks that was in Slumdog Millionaire. And they luck, they don't even have running water or electricity. So don't tell me you don't have the resources. And by the way, the level of entrepreneurialism, innovation that's taking place in that slum with the lack of resources they've got could knock out any Western company. Well, that's an arrogant statement. Well, no, you go and compete with the resources they've got, see how you do. Um, India will be the world's largest superpower by 2050. Why? That's another arrogant Duncan statement, outrageous statement, Duncan. You must be mad. Well, no. Um, their population surpassed China two years ago. That's not important. The percentage of people underneath the age of 25 in India out far outstrips China. That's not important. The percentage of people that speak English in India are far outstrips China. That's not important because we'll all be able to speak and translate with something in our ear within five years from now anyway. By the way, I can now speak live in 57 different languages through an artificial intelligence robot directly through subtitles onto your computer. You want it in Hindi? You can have it. Arabic? Absolutely. Mandarin? Hell yeah. That already exists. So it's only a matter of time before you speak in Australian and I can understand what you say. <laughs> but so with the task we would give me for you sorry, sorry sorry so um you can throw back the ashes at me if you want it's all good so um the task we were given four years ago was to go to the Dera of islam in mumbai and to create lights where there was no electricity we thought uh okay haven't got a clue how to do that but hey yeah we'll give it a try uh they paid our expenses we weren't getting paid to be there but i had a bit of free time so we went out and we were sitting in a cafe one day and uh, a spotlight just hit my little plastic bottle that we were drinking out of. And it refracted the light out to about half a foot to almost a foot around the base of the bottle. So then we thought, that's interesting. So then I took the little advertising label, you know, the little plastic branding label that goes around the halfway up the bottle. We took that off. And when the light hit it, we could get it up to about one and a half to two feet around the diameter of the bottle. So you thought, hmm. So then I held the bottle up towards the spotlight and you notice the further it got towards the light source, the light refracted up to three or four feet around the bottle. So then we started playing with the water level inside the bottle and we could get it up to about eight feet past the diameter of the bottle. Then we cut the lip off the bottle that you drink out of and it refracted the light even further up to about 10 to 12 feet around the bottle. So then we walked out into a hut that had no light in it and closed the door, uh, cut a hole in the ceiling, stuck the bottle through it and guess what? Lit the hut for 14 hours a day during daylight hours with no electricity so then i phoned a mate by the way here's my great I, this is my favorite quote henry ford whether or not you think you can or think you can't you're probably right i always think i can and therefore i just give it a go i'm a great believer you pick up the phone you make your pitch they could not take your call they could laugh and put the phone down they could tell you to piss off or they could say yes you've got nothing to lose pick up the phone make your pitch so i phoned the cmo of evian in paris an old mate of mine from disney i said hey you're about to trash the planet with about 500,000 empty bottles, plastic. I said, that's not responsible. Give them to me for free. By the way, I need you to ship them to me for free because these people can't afford it. And I told him what I was working on. I said, oh, by the way, also, you have to take your brand off the bottle. Sorry, but I need the light. And he was like, are you mad? <laughs> anyway, he did. And six weeks later, we lit 500,000 huts where there were no electricity. So don't tell me you haven't got the resources. Um, another tool, that's, here's a tool that's really good. Because look, it's we've all got everybody says, oh, but we're a very heavily regulated industry as if as if Walt Disney World isn't the largest single site employer on the planet. Ninety six thousand people on one campus. That's just employees. Right. Twenty five million visitors a year, an area twice the size of Manhattan Island in New York. You don't think they're regulated? Of course they're regulated. So but there's a genius of a tool. It was created by Walt. It was about breaking the rules. I call it what if. What if the rules no longer existed? So you take your challenge, you list your rules one by one. Walt did it for Fantasia. Here, we go back to our classic movies now. In 1940, Walt created Fantasia, and he wanted it to mist inside the theater during the, mist, during the rain sequence. He wanted heat pumped in during the fire sequence. And the theater owner said, no, Walt, too expensive. You're off your trolley, mate. So Walt listed the rules, step one. We list the rules of your challenge. Okay, uh, I have to sit down. I have to be quiet. I, have to, I can only watch one movie at a time. I can't rewind the movie. I can't pause the movie. I can't control the temperature. I can't take in my outside food and beverage. And another rule that he wrote down was, I, Walt, can't control the environment in which the consumers see my films. So he so list the rules as quickly as you can. Then pick one and say, what if? 
What if that rule no longer applied? So he said, what if I could control the environment? That's not provocative enough. The more absurd and audacious your what-if statement, the further out of your river of thinking you'll get. So he said, well, what if I take my movies out of the theatre? That's a stupid idea in 1940. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, they can't be two-dimensional because I don't own any movie screens. And they, well, wait a minute. What if I made them three-dimensional? How are you going to do that, Well, Why have people play the characters? Well, but people wouldn't believe who they were. What if I put them in costume? I could have cowboys, princesses, pirates. Well, you, Cinderella can't live next to Jack Sparrow. People wouldn't be immersed in her story. What if I put her in a different land? Oh, wait a minute. What if I called it Disneyland? Boom. Biggest mm-hmm. idea of the 20s. Now, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, in a dorm, in Harvard, snow, six foot deep, probably the same as it is today, actually, to my Boston friends, just for the record. I'm in Florida. Um, <laughs> so he asked the question, what if we could get together when we can't? Boom, welcome to the world of social media. Two guys walked into a bar in Chicago. No, it's not a joke. Uh, they, it was one o'clock in the morning. It was pouring down with rain. They'd had too much to drink. They couldn't get a, t- a taxi. So one of them said to the other one, what if every work car was a cab? Well, guess who went on to invent Uber? Um, Netflix. Uh, so did you used to have Blockbuster Video in Australia? Or what was your biggest brand of video rental stores? Uh, we had Blockbuster. Yeah, Blockbuster. Okay, well, there you go. Right, so nobody likes going to Blockbuster video so because uh, it was a pain in the ass, wasn't it? And so um, so here's the – well, you're too young, but it was so, – but he, your parents hated go. <laughs> so we the owner of the, We, we okay, saw it as well, like yeah, – Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you were kids. That's why, because you didn't <laughs> have to take the video. You didn't have to take the video back. You didn't have to be kind of rewind. And yeah. by the way, you probably did what my kids did. They left the empty box on the hall table so dad could take it back on Monday morning. And they left the video cassette stuff down the side of the sofa. So when yeah. dad goes back on Friday, they'll go, that'll be $50 in late fees, mate. You're like, what the <laughs> So anyway, so the owner of Netflix used what if. He listed the rules of going to Blockbuster Video. I must drive to a physical store. I can only get three. They never have the one I want. I must rewind it. I must go during opening hours. I must take it back. I must have a membership card. I must pay late fees. And he took one rule, the physical store. And he said, what if there was no physical store in 2005? Stupid suggestion. Absurd. Don't be so ridiculous. Well, hang on a minute. YouTube existed since 1998, streaming amateur content. So he simply said, wait a minute. What if I just stream professional content? I'll do a deal with the movie studios. Um, nobody has to drive anywhere. I'll be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everybody gets the one they want opening day weekend. I'll cut the rental off at 24 hours and nobody pays it lately. I'll call myself Netflix. I'll take my ideas of Blockbuster Video five times. They'll turn me down five times. How many years will it take for me to eliminate them from the industry? Five years. Cheerio. Goodbye. And, the, and don't think you're not the next Blockbuster Video if you're not already challenging the rules of your industry. So for those of you who say we don't have the resources, oh, Disney and Netflix, they've got millions. Well, guess what? Walt was bankrupt in 1940, and Reed Hastings was working out of his mum's garage in 2005. They had no resources. So, But I'll give you a smaller example so that, so that we say, okay, well, I can do it too. A small company in Great Britain in the 1970s used to make glasses that we drink out of, and they found there was too much breakage and not enough production when the glasses were being wrapped and shipped. So they went down to the shop floor and they just watched. And they wrote down the rules. 26 employees, cardboard boxes, 12 glasses to a box, six on the top, six on the bottom, separated by corrugated cardboard, each glass wrapped individually in newspaper. Employees reading the newspaper. So somebody asked a relatively provocative what if question, what if we poke their eyes out? <laughs> well, that's against the law and it's not very nice. However, because he had the courage to ask the absurd what of statement, the lady sitting next to him immediately got out of her traditional river of thinking and said, well, hang on, let's just hire blind people. So they did. Production went up 18%, breakage went down over 72%, and the British government gave them a 50% salary subsidy for hiring people with disabilities. Take the rules of your industry, pick one, and ask, what if that rule no longer applied? You'll be stunned at the amount of ideas you can develop. Mm, 100%. I, I love um, Mark Randolph's book, the founder of Netflix, that will never mm. work. And how many times he was actually rejected yep. and told yes. it's crazy. Now look at it. It's the number one yep. platform, yep. streaming platform yep. in the world. So, yep. Do I think we'll be able to 3D print tables and chairs in less than 10 years? Yes. 100%. Food products? Not fresh produce, probably not. But snacks? Why not? 100%. Why not? Yeah, it's, it's always that, that why not question. Right. And, and why doesn't McDonald's deliver my Big Mac on a drone? Mm. <laughs> right? I don't know. Why, why do I have to go to them? Mm. Why can't they come to me? 
think it kind of raises the question of privacy and in such a like because they would know all right so all right okay i'll give you privacy so here's a brilliant tool how else how by simply re-expressing the challenge can i stop you thinking the way you always do and give you permission to think differently well mm-hmm. disney july 17th 1955 opening the doors to disneyland said we will not have any customers in our park but only have guests now think about how you feel when you're treated as a customer think about how you feel when you're treated as a guest remarkably different experience we won't have any employees when we have cast members they'll be cast for a role in the show they wear a costume not a uniform they work on stage or backstage and with that simple re-expression of the challenge of the relationship between the customer and the employee and the guest and the cast member created a level of hospitality that nobody else has been able to replicate since despite trying now if i would if i were coming whereabouts are you i know you're in australia but whereabouts i'm in sydney Okay, so I'm coming to Sydney. You and I are going to go into business. We're going to open a car wash together. Tell me the four essential ingredients we must have in our car wash. What are the must-haves? Uh, obviously, you need a location. You need... Location. Uh, yeah, you need all that sort of stuff. You need employees, obviously. Employees. Yeah, what uh, else must you have in a car wash? You need the equipment to actually be able to wash the car. Equipment, right. Okay, equipment, employees. What else? Um... Water, soap, brushes, vacuum, dryer. So, okay, so abandon that because car washes are really boring. What if you and I went into business in Sydney, Australia, and we opened an auto spa? Now, Mm. what could we put in the spa? What could you put in the spa? Anything you want, what could you put in it? Um, (laughs) Well, if if I was to, then probably an easier way to clean the car, more efficient way to clean the car. Right. It's an auto spa. What do you see in the spa? What could you put in the spa? Um, I don't know. I, I don't really, haven't really thought about it too much, to be honest with you. Oh, uh, spas. What do you see in spas? What do you see in a spa? Like for me, honestly, relaxation. Like Okay, what, what, what? Um, Sauna, steam run, jacuzzi. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I said car wash. People will go in their river of thinking. Water, brushes, soap, dryer, vacuum. They didn't even consider the alternatives. I then call it an auto spa, and people say, oh, barista, cappuccino, steam room, sauna. All I did was really express the challenge and stop you thinking the way you always do and give you permission to think differently. In 2011, if we said, how might we make more money? By the way, stop asking that question because it's so product-centric. Generation Z is coming for your lunch, mate. Um, instead of asking, how might we make more money, car wash, we said, how might we solve the biggest consumer pain point, auto spa? And so we realized it was the lines. We identified where the pinch points were. And we said, what if there was no front desk in our hotels? Because that's a pain in the ass, checking in, checking out. What if there was no turnstile in the front of the park and people didn't have to wait to get in or for their favorite food or merchandise or to, to pay for uh, or go on their favorite ride? And we looked around the world and guess what? RFID technology was already out there. All we did was put it in a chip put it in a plastic band, called it Disney's Magic Band, it arrives in the mail before you arrive at the resort. It is your room key. You don't need to check in or check out anymore. The turn start at the entrance of the park, they've gone. No need to wait. You swipe and go. My reservations for my favorite three counter meeting greets or my favorite rides, swipe and go. I want an item of merchandise sent to my hotel room. I'll touch it once. I want it sent to my house. I'll touch it twice. Think on the pro caps on that little sucker. Thank you very much. There are security features in place to stop children from touching absolutely everything in the park. Um, and big children, I hasten to add. Um, I want my hot dog with my pickles on the side and go to Pinocchio's Village House for lunch today. I save it on my smartphone. When I walk into the restaurant, restaurant knows I'm here, knows I'm at table 47, and food comes fresh to me. Had we have said, how might we make more money? We'd have put the gate price up by 3% and made our quarterly results. That's called iteration, and it will see you out of business because of the level of disruption that's coming. But by turning the challenge on its head and saying, how might we solve the biggest consumer pain point? The average guest at Walt Disney World today enjoys two hours free time they didn't have four years ago. What has that resulted in? Record intent to return, record intent to recommend. And what do we do with our free time? We spend money. Record revenues. Biggest single revenue generating idea since Disney was created. And by the way, 25 million people a year walking through those gates with an RFID-enabled chip telling Disney live for every second of every day what they like and what they don't like, uh, enabling Disney to essentially crowdsource the future products and services of everything Disney creates. Now, this came from you because said, what about privacy? So if I said to you, you'll never stand in Disney uh, in line for in a Disney theme park again, who will give me your firstborn child? Therefore, the value proposition is... Right? I've given you something of real value. You And by the way, 
we don't have anybody who thinks there's got anything private about them left in the world today is kidding themselves, right? Do you hear a 12 or 14 year old or 16 year, 18 year old talk about privacy? No, the old buggers like me, that's the people who talk about privacy. But you, you don't have it. So, and by the way, again, I, I think that the people will give you information if you give them something of real value, but you've got to offer something of real value. You can't walk into a store and somebody says, can I have your email, please? I always ask them, I always tell them that I've got some $50. Um, but you have to offer something of real value to people. I think a lot of companies don't understand that. They just think consumers will hand over their email address. No. I think you've raised a very good point there. <laughs> I, I've never really thought of it like that before. Uh, until now, actually. So it's, it's a very interesting thing about looking at privacy and, and where the world's going with it because we don't really have it. But yet, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we don't necessarily complain you about don't. it too much. You uh, don't. I mean, let's face it, anything you say in conversation today, three seconds later, a commercial pops up in your Facebook feed for whatever yeah. the product was you were just talking about. So you know what? Get over it. If, if you want, if you, again, but Facebook has given us something we wanted the ability to reach out to friends and family that we don't see every day. So therefore they're providing something of value to us and therefore, uh, okay, do I trade in some of my privacy? Yes. Okay. Mm. Um, I do think Apple could do a better job with Siri because I don't know what it's like with an Australian accent, but with a British accent, Siri is a total disaster. Um, last week I was dri <laughs> driving home from somewhere and I said, Siri, please call my wife. And the response I got was you've got 17. <laughs> <laughs> And like, come on, people, get with the program. And by the way, here we are a year into COVID, and yet Apple haven't figured out how to use retina scan recognitions to unlock my phone. So if you've got a mask on, you know what it's like. You have to part, you put your bloody password into the phone every three seconds. Yeah. Well, come on, boys. COVID's been with us for a year. Get on the bandwagon. Mm. Yeah, I had that same thought <laughs> not that long ago because here in Sydney, we had to wear masks for a while. Mm. It was yeah. compulsory. And I'm like, this is the most annoying thing. I have to either take mm -hmm. my mask off or put in my damn coat. Uh, and nobody yet, nobody yet has created a mask that you can wear with glasses without a glass of steaming up. There would be a product that would make you a couple of million bucks pretty quickly. There you go. <laughs> See, if anyone's listening, go and do it. There you go. Go um, do it. Do it. Yeah. Go and, go and do it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And by the um, way, the next industry that deserves to go under is, sorry, is the movie theatre industry. Why? Because when I went to the movie theatre for the first time, it was 1967. So that was a while ago now. And I went to see The Jungle Book for my birthday. And then I think about going to see Avengers two years ago before COVID. And you think, okay, what's changed? Well, I still have to go to a physical uh, place. I have to go during their opening hours. I can only watch one movie at a time. I have to watch all the previews I didn't want to watch. I can't take in my food and beverage. I can't actually still reserve my seat where I go. Um, and I can't interact with the movie. I can't pause the movie. I can't. There's nothing that's changed in the movie theatre business since 1967. Now, here's what's changed. They iterated. They didn't innovate. So they created a big screen. They called it IMAX. Okay, well done. Bravo, you. And they created multi-screens, 24 theatres. So what? The experience is still all about them, not about the consumer. And so I think you'll see with COVID again, and obviously Disney+, Plus, Peacock, Netflix, it's only a matter of time before they crumble because they haven't created an experience. And I'll, I'll touch on that and then we'll close. Um, retail stores, stop measuring your results by, retail, by sales per square foot. Um, most supermarkets, restaurants, is all per square foot, right? How much revenue you're driving per square foot? Okay, great. Well done, you. Well, Walt Disney realized that before 1955 that that was a bad idea. He said it's experience first. Mm. Sales, will, sales will follow. So you think, oh, that's ridiculous. No, stupid. Okay. Well, if I were to ask you to name the six most successful shopping malls per square foot or restaurants anywhere in the world, you would not think to mention Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. Well, guess what? Guess which are the most successful retail shopping malls on the planet per square foot? They're the six Disney resorts. They make money, more money than any retail store anywhere on the planet. Why? Because Walt created an experience first retail second. Mm -hmm. And so now, okay, put that in real terms for people today. Up until 15 years ago, Universal Studios were the hard steel ride guy. Disney was the immersive entertainment brand. 
and Universal Studios could only charge $2.50 for Coca-Cola. Then they bought the Harry Potter franchise and the Coca-Cola today is called a Butterbeer and you will pay $8.50. And if you want it in the souvenir mug, it's $15 for you and you'll happily spend the money. This plastic stick that you see before me that you wouldn't give me two cents for? No, 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 sir. This is Dumbledore's wand and this is $64 plus tax. And yes, you'll happily. In fact, you'll probably buy the cloak as well um, because they created the experience first. And retail needs to wake up because here's the thing. If you don't create an experience, there is no reason for Lazy Duncan to get out of his house and come to you. Why should I? Amazon gives you to me anytime I want. You become a product otherwise. And if you're a product or a service, I can buy you on Amazon and I don't have to go squat. Right. And so, but if you're an experience, then I'm there now it's worth coming. But so many people still don't understand it's not experience first. They still think it's retail. Why? Because they're measured by quarterly results. Why? Because they're driven by share value. Well, guess what? Generation Z is coming along, a generation of people who care more about purpose than profit. Not only will they not buy your products and services if they don't believe in what you stand for, they won't want to work for you. I don't care if you're the biggest brand in the planet. If Generation Z says, I refuse, I don't want to work for this brand because I don't believe in what you stand for, blockbuster video, Kodak, who's next? Mm. Lots of them, hundreds, hundreds, because they continue to think, oh, we could just, it, we're going to pivot. We're going to move 3% to make our quarterly results. That will not be enough in the next decade. There's too much change that's coming. Mm. I think you've, and yeah. It's about people, so people say, why don't you take risks? Well, people will only be brave if you give them the tools. So, for example, if you've got one soldier with a gun and one soldier without a gun, who do you think would be the braver one of the two? The one with the gun, because you've given him the tools or her to do the job. So all I've done is created a toolkit to make people brave by giving them an innovation toolkit that makes innovation easier, to, uh, creativity, tangible, and the process fun. Then people will take a risk. And if you don't, they won't. It's as simple as that. Uh, Duncan, I could listen to you for ages. Just go on and on about this this stuff. It's really, really exciting, but I do want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for Thank you very much. giving up the time. And uh, I really do appreciate everything that you're doing in the world and all the, the stories that you're, you're sharing. Uh, it's inspiring. So thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast today. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm going to bugger off and watch The Lone Ranger. Huh? <laughs> really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.